and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the NMA podcast. This week we're looking at the question of vulnerable clients. Now there's a fair bit of regulatory guidance on this issue, but I'm intrigued to know what the actual practicalities are. We've all heard the horror stories of banks losing customers' money, but are there stones being left unturned in the financial services? Here to discuss this with me is Tom uh, Selby, Senior Analyst at AJ Bell, and we're also joined by Andrew Tully, who is Technical Director at Canada Life. Hello to you both. How are you? Hello. Very well, thank you. Very well, thank Good you. Good stuff. Tom, uh, as you're well aware, having come on this podcast on a couple of occasions yes. before, nobody enters podcast land without passing through the gates of the weekly mystery quiz. Mm. Uh, and you're a fan of pub quizzes, aren't you, Tom? I am a fan of pub quizzes, yes. So, Andrew, I thought we'd do a round of quiz questions on the special and unique topic of general knowledge. Okay. Um, are you both ready? I mean, I, I, can't, I can't believe we're going to start this quiz without, first of all, talking about my triumph in the Christmas quiz. I mean, surely we should be building this up as That's the triumphant true. Tom Selby. The triumphant Tom Selby. Gets dethroned uh, by Andy Tully. <laughs> You're writing the headlines before we've got the news, Tom. Um, but yes, watch out, Andrew, because Tom Selby came from behind. It was a dramatic comeback. Mm-hmm. A dramatic yeah. turnaround in the yeah. Christmas pod rescue Mary, Mary Gentleman <laughs> episode. Um, we'll begin. Question one. What was Elvis Presley's middle name? Oh, my good. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea I'm just whatsoever. Gonna have a wild stab in the dark. At I thought you'd know this. <laughs> tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. What is it, Tom? Cameron. Oh, actually, kind of sonically close. Uh, the king's name was Elvis Aaron Presley. Um, I thought you would have got that actually. Born on January the eighth, nineteen thirty-five. Passed away August sixteenth, nineteen seventy-seven. Age forty-two. Elvis Aaron Presley. Maybe this is going to be a tougher quiz than I, I thought. I mean, are they all Elvis Presley based? <laughs> Which Elvis? No. Um, number two. Some police cars have the letters ANPR written on the side. What does that mean? ANPR? Yeah. Automatic number plate recognition. Andrew with the point. Fair play. That's correct. Uh, so this is a clever camera that reads number plates of cars in the vicinity and checks them automatically against the central police database. Mm. And then it alerts the driver if there's a problem. Question three. How many states are there in the USA beginning with the letter M? Get your pens out. M. How long do we have? <laughs> 30 seconds, something like that. Oh, what's going on here? Okay, so Andrew, Tom's right very quickly. Uh, <laughs> oh, Tom is, mm, Tom. Mm. Some of these, some, some, I'm, I'm confident that some of these aren't states that I'm writing down. For listeners at home, this has now taken on the appearance of an actual exam, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I know that Tom is. Uh, this is probably so much more stressful by. than my actual job. Um, <laughs> I am going to have to get you to have a wild uh, stab okay. in the dark if you haven't. I mean, you seem to have come up with three answers there. I may, I may, I may just add some to that. Yeah, I'm going to go for four. Tom. Okay, I'm going to go for five. It's actually eight. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Montana, Missouri, and of course Mississippi with two S's. And the three that I wrote down S's were S's correct, but yeah, just not enough. Just <laughs> the five that I didn't write down were also correct. Question four. Now this is the one that I found out this week, and I was intrigued by this. What is an Ouroboros? <laughs> Are you, going, are you going to give us some context at all? How do you spell it? So, O-U-R-O-B-O-R-O-S, an Auroboros. And I'll give you a clue. It's a kind of, it's an ancient symbol for something. And I learned this, but have you seen the documentary Fire? About no. the um, failed festival? There's an article about this, and uh, it described Fire Festival as being like an Auroboros. 
I'm going to give you the answer. Okay. I think so. It's an ancient symbol depicting a serpent or dragon eating its own tail. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was fascinated by this. It originated in ancient iconography. The Araboros entered Western tradition by a Greek magical uh, practices and was adopted as a symbol in Gnosticism and Hermeticism. And something's some, some happened to this quiz since Christmas. I know, because it's gone downhill. I, I, either that or something's happened to my intelligence, okay. which is possibly both. <laughs> you'll, de you'll definitely get this. Raindrops the size of bullets thundered on the castle windows for days on end. The lake rose, the flower beds turned into muddy streams, and Hagrid's pumpkins swelled to the size of garden sheds. That's a line from which Harry Potter book? Oh. Oh. That's just... Okay. Anyone that knows me well will know that it's my favourite of them all. I'm going to go for Prisoner of Azkaban. Andrew? Goblet of Fire. Oh, it's the Chamber of Secrets. Oh. But I'll give Tom a point because he was the closest. <laughs> <laughs> The podcast, okay. the, po <laughs> the podcast won't pick up the look of it on Andy's face there. <laughs> anyone who thought this wasn't rules. A, anyone who thought this wasn't a competitive quiz can't think again. <laughs> well, I'm trying. You know, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to beckon the spirit uh, of com competition. Yeah, yeah. Know, I, I'm I the will, FCA in this <laughs> in this situation. I will take any sympathy I can get. Okay. Question six: The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, Wills and Kate, they're royals. They're married and they're parents. But who is older, Wills or Kate? I'll, I'll let Andy go first and I'll take the 50-50. It's not the other way. William. So, uh, <laughs> I go, well, obviously, obviously I'm going for Kate. It is Kate. Kate is older by six months. Wow. She's 37 and he's actually 36. They met at university. Yeah. Apparently. Tough paper round for Will. Interesting Royals. <laughs> so, uh, in a way, it's kind of sad that I got that right, isn't it? Yeah, you'd rather get it Tom wrong. Tom is in the lead with two to one. Gosh, what's going on? Um, question seven. Back on the home front. When was CityWire started? When did that operation begin? Okay. If you've seen our Twitter feed, you'll know there's an important, important event coming up. Two thousand and four. Okay. Oh, I have to go for it being a twentieth anniversary, so nineteen ninety nine. That's correct. Mm. It's twenty years old in August this year. It was incorporated on something like August the nineteenth or something like wow. that. So we'll be having lots of uh, parties and celebrations for that. A good moment for me to remind listeners to write in or email us, just tweet us saying what you were doing twenty years ago in finance, not. Otherwise, <laughs> we want to know. Um, wh where were you 20 years ago, Tom? I presume oh you were probably playing on the, you know, on the oh Sega Mega Drive. Oh or my something. god, yeah, 1999. I'd have been in year eight or year nine, something like that. So I think it would have, it would have been N64, okay. probably, uh, probably focusing on GoldenEye mainly. Mm -hmm. Bit of Championship Management Manage 97, 98. I never graduated beyond that. So, Andrew, what were you doing in 1999? Sadly enough, I was working in financial services. <laughs> really? <laughs> for which company? Uh, for Aegon. It's almost oh. Scottish Equitable as it was. Wow. Okay. Question eight. It's on America's tortured brow that Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow is a line from which famous song? It's on America's tortured brow. <laughs> Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. I'm not sure this is helping. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those annoying ones where I do vaguely recognise the melody, but are neither of you fans of David Bowie? 
Mm. No. It's, it's Life on Mars no. by David Bowie. I was trying to get something in the quiz that was, you know, within... My age group. Within <laughs> 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 <Not taken. laughs> You know, I was just trying to make it fair. I mean, okay, question nine. It's still 3-1, and we're on question nine. It's a bit of an abysmal performance on my part. It's meant to be an accessible quiz for once. Diamonds are a product of which chemical element? Carbon. Correct. It's now 3-2. Question 10. A football question. There has to be a football question, because I know that Tom is a fan of football. I assume you're a fan of football, Andrew. Scotland. Okay, we'll roll with this anyway. The Rungrado May Day Stadium in North Korea is famous for what reason? And I'll give you a clue. It's something to do with its size. Banner, banner, biggest banner, stadium banner. in the world. Well, I can't, I can't. Correct. Is it the biggest stadium in the world in North Korea? Yeah, it is the biggest mm. football stadium in the world. It can seat 150,000 people. It was actually developed. I think it was built in the 80s or the 90s as like you know some grand project for athletics and sports. Yeah, and then it was redone relatively recently. But yeah, it's the biggest uh, football stadium in the world. Are we having to trust North Korea's word on that? Yeah, I think so. Well, this was a <laughs> <laughs> I did independently verify this with the internet, and the internet said that I was correct. Um, it's actually come out as a tie, which I think is a, a fitting end, because I was after something that was inclusive and equal, and what we have is a three-all outcome. I don't have a tiebreaker question, because I didn't think that would happen, so we'll leave that one there. Well um, played, Andy. <laughs> there's handshakes around the table. Great, great job, guys. Okay, so let's move on to our uh, the main bit of the podcast, which is obviously about vulnerable clients. Um, Bit of a bit of a tough topic, perhaps, but I wondered if we could start our proceedings by asking kind of what is a vulnerable client, and I wanted to start with Tom. Uh, so it's very so it's very difficult um, difficult topic, as you say, difficult to define vulnerability. Um, the FCA, um, I believe, has its own specific definition of what counts as a vulnerable client. I've noted it down. So someone who due to their personal circumstances, particularly susceptible to financial detriment. So in terms of that, that that's the way that the FCA looks at it, which to me seems like a, a reasonable starting point. I think um, generally, actually, the FCA and its pr approach to this has been quite pragmatic, I think. Um, I think it's noted the, the fact that the issue of vulnerability is very tra transient. I'm sure we'll go on to that, that what, what makes someone vulnerable and what doesn't make someone vulnerable can change over time based on age and based on someone's personal circumstances. Um, so I think the FCA has got a, roughly the right starting point, but how, I guess, how the industry deals with the issue of vulnerability and how that, how that develops yeah. over time will, will change. The, um, the, I'm so glad you brought up that sentence because the FCA definition, the end of that sentence mm. actually says, so someone who due to their personal circumstances is especially susceptible to detriment, particularly when a firm is not acting with appropriate levels of care. Now, th I think that's very interesting mm. because, you know, you could debate that till the cows come home about what an appropriate level of care, care is. Um, we should mention at this point that we did a brief poll this morning and 49 people replied. Uh, saying uh, that the financial services industry does not do enough to help vulnerable clients. That was a, a large majority of uh, voters, 78%. Mm. Um, so, Andrew, what needs to change at this point? I mean, clearly, if it's on the regulator's agenda, it's going to be on some firm's agenda. Yeah. 
So, so I think increasingly so over the last few years it has come on to all firms' agenda. Mm. Uh, certainly for, for us at Canada Life as part of ABI, so ABI issued a, a code in 2017 which gave firms, so, so firms committed to doing certain things, so, so committed to having a, a, a vulnerability policy in place uh, last January, so, so a year ago, so all firms had to have a, a, a policy in place. It had to commit to giving regular training to, to all staff mm -hmm. uh, and, and had to share examples of best practice. So, so I think it's, it, it is a, a, a position that is being increasingly recognised. Uh, I think, as Tom said, that this, this is not as straightforward as, as many issues. So many issues you can simply box off and say, there's a, there's a certain group of people who are affected. Uh, the difficulty of vulnerability is, is it's, it's an unknown number. Mm. Uh, and it's not always easy to identify who's vulnerable. So, so I think it's easy for all of us to say, to almost have a mental picture in our head of, of someone who's elderly by themselves. And, and that's kind of a traditional view of vulnerability. And, and that's not necessarily the case. So, so people can be uh, fall into this category for a bunch of reasons. And, and it's not necessarily elderly. So, so it could be younger people who have gone through divorce or a bereavement. Uh, you know, so personal circumstances can, can drive it. Uh, illness can drive it. Uh, things like uh, hearing, sight, language barriers can drive it. So there's a whole host of factors. Uh, so, so, so I think it's it's not necessarily a minority issue. It can be quite a mainstream issue. Mm. Uh, so, so, but it's not necessarily easy to identify. And I think that's where we have to potentially improve. Is in, in, in a way, in a way, I'm kind of um, I, I'd say I'd have expected that poll to come back with. 100% of people say that financial services firms aren't doing enough okay. to deal with the issue of vulnerability because quite frankly you, you, you can't ever do enough and certainly no, there's, no, there won't be a single financial services firm, I wouldn't claim AJ Bell does, it, it, we're doing as much as we can yeah. but I wouldn't say we're doing, I think at the, the point at which you say you're doing enough you would therefore have every perfect solution for every yeah. customer who's coming through yeah. your door and the nature of vulnerability means that you can't possibly yeah. do uh, that. And I, I can, I'd take that outside financial services. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think there's, you know, companies outside financial services necessarily dealing with this in a perfect way either. So, so, so I think uh, we're concentrating on financial services here and saying that we're, we're not doing enough and, and, and I agree we're not and we have to improve. But, but I don't think necessarily we can say lots of people outside financial services yeah. are doing a great job either. Um, I'm holding in my hand the Personal Finance Society's Good Practice Guide, which is uh, on this topic is entitled Meeting the Needs of Vulnerable Clients. It actually quotes, I hate to mention Europe, because we try and avoid <laughs> that topic as much as possible. Uh, but it's, it cites this research from the European Commission. Um, and it comes up with a sort of definition that distinguishes five dimensions of consumer vulnerability. So I'll try and move through them as quickly as possible. A consumer who as a result of socio-demographic characteristics, behavioural characteristics, personal situation or market environment, A is at higher risk of experiencing negative market outcomes, B has limited ability to maximise his or her well-being, C has difficulty in obtaining or assimilating information, D is less able to buy, choose or access suitable products, or E is more susceptible to certain market practices. There was one thing in there that particularly intrigued me because I thought, you know, as a result of socio-demographic characteristics, mm. so that could be uh, a young person. So are, are there definitions here where, you know, a young person who, for instance, has just started saving to a pension, are they a vulnerable? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so I think some of the stats 
which I have written in front of me, says says one in seven adults have have uh, low financial and literacy skills. So, so I think, uh, you know, one in seven, they're talking about a child aged 11 or below mm. is kind of get, get, get skill set. So, so yeah, we, we could be talking about, and I, I think that was my point earlier, we, we think of people in the 90s or, or over, but we could easily be talking about people in their 20s who've got low financial yeah. capability. Uh, we could be talking about people who have been bereaved or people who are caring. So, so it's right through the life cycle. Mm. I just wondered on that basis then, because we uh, we tend to hear this um, sort of binary, this characterization of <coughs> clients as either being, you know, D to C clients or advised clients. You know, um, is it time actually that we change that definition to, you know, vulnerable clients, non-vulnerable clients, and furthermore, say that someone is vulnerable and less proven otherwise. I yeah, I I I I'm not sure um, if uh, if narrowing down definitions actually helps particularly. I think the, F the FCA in their um, in their response to Treasury committees works. I was going through a few of them, and the FCA in their response said that somewhere in the region of fifty percent of all UK adults demonstrate some features mm. of vulnerability. So that's twenty-five million people. So in in a, in, a, in a way, it's it's um, it, it's 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 going to be more of a cultural thing for the, and you know the FCA's got a big focus on culture at the moment and making sure firms are doing the right thing as part of their business processes and the only way that you're going to ensure that an issue like vulnerability is dealt with properly is if it's culturally part of what firms do all the time to make to to understand the fact that if you know, based on that FCA research potentially if you assume that half of your customers who come through the door are potentially vulnerable at some point then you'll have an incentive to make sure that you're building systems and processes to identify people who are vulnerable at the times when you can do it. Mm. But I think building on that, just because people are vulnerable doesn't mean they all have the same needs. Yeah. So, so, so there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all process here. Some, some will have a, a need for one aspect so, and, and some will have a need for something else. So, so, so some people might for example, won't want emails or something like that, they want mm. written communication. Yeah. Uh, some people will need, perhaps, want audio communication. So, so, so just on that communication, but people will want all sorts of needs. Uh, so, so I don't think we can be too prescribed here. We need to make sure that uh, we have the ability to do flexible responses tailored to the individual needs. Uh, and that will be very different across the whole range of, of people who have these, these issues. Sure. Well, Tom, when we originally spoke about this mm. at the end of last year in the pub, I might add. <laughs> All the best ideas. All the best ideas <laughs> come up in the pub. Um, meeting room six, mm. as, we, as I've said before. <laughs> um, you said that there have been some sort of specific examples of cases where AJ Bell had identified consumers who yeah. might be in a vulnerable situation. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to, for listeners at home, do you want to just run me through Yeah, that? yeah. So, so um, as, as the, the, the Treasury Committee was looking at the issue, clearly the FCA has been looking at the issue, um, and so I was interested to know exactly what we do. And I'm talking about, for excuse me, for um, direct-to-consumer mm. customers here. So through AJ Bell, you invest clearly a different case where there's an advisor involved and the advisor should be there and will have more information on the, the, the position of their customer. So I went to our teams and found out exactly what, our, what we do to identify vulnerable customers at the moment. So we're not an ABI member, so we've obviously done this um, uh, off, our, off our own off our own baton kind of unilaterally, but reflecting on the stuff that the ABI um, have put out there. So um, everyone within AJ Bell has to complete an e-learning module. So that's 
sort of tying into the cultural point. So everybody has every every. So I've I've completed that. Every other member of staff, regardless of their position, um, on the issue of vulnerability and what can make someone vulnerable and what can't, and covering some of the issues we've already um, discussed. We've then got a team that's now it's actually grown to forty. Um, uh, people, it was 24, we had another 16 in, in December. Um, so these are people who are in customer facing teams who've received uh, classroom, classroom training regarding the identification and treatment of vulnerable customers. So the idea is you've got those 40 people who, when we identify someone who's vulnerable through some of the checks that we've got, um, then that they will only deal with that one specific person. So the idea is, for example, if it's someone who's um, shown signs of dementia, and then you'll, they'll, they'll be dealing with the same person every time and they'll be familiar yeah. with that customer's potential issues that they're going to have and they'll be familiar with, um, with, uh, with the case. And then I'm sure it's very similar to other financial services firms. So we've, um, uh, we've got a couple of specific triggers that will identify someone as being um, potentially vulnerable. So um, when someone's in receipt of death benefits, so, so when someone refuses to receive death benefits for the first time, that'll be a trigger to suggest that someone is yeah. potentially going to be vulnerable, either because that may be a first-time investor who's receiving that, or clearly that could be a difficult time if someone close to them has just died. Mm -hmm. So there'll be an automatic flag on a customer in that position. Um, also, and this is on an issue, an issue we touched on earlier, when someone converts from a, a junior ISA or a junior SIP into a full adult product, then they'll immediately be flagged as a potentially vulnerable customer. Now that flag won't remain in place permanently, but there will be an automatic thing that will go up that will say this person is potentially going to be vulnerable. As a result, they'll be assigned a vulnerable caseworker and we'll work through it to see whether or not um, whether or not there, there, there are any specific issues for those um, people who were, were dealing with. Now since that program's been rolled out, and it's only been I think six to eight months or something like that, We've identified in the region of 200 potentially vulnerable customers who have therefore been assigned to somebody who can deal with their case and hopefully give them a more specific kind of um, kind of service. Now, it's 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 not something that I, I think we are, as, as I mentioned at the start, there's, there's absolutely no way we're, we're at a perfect solution point in this. And I don't think anyone is. But I think um, I think it's good that we're having discussions like this, frankly, because I think the, the best way to ensure that companies like AJ Bell and Canada Life and all the others improve what they're doing and uh, identify vulnerable customers at as early stage as possible is to share what we're doing and share best, best practice and, uh, and, and, and get to a point where we're, we're doing as much as can practically be, be done, done for these people. Mm. Andrew, uh, you know, that's quite an amazing sort of list that Tom's just... Um, <laughs> You know, reeled off. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed. Um, is there are there things that Candle Life, you know, that Candle Life does that do? Um, so, 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 so I guess we're in a, a slightly different position, and we're we're an advised business. So the vast majority of our uh, uh, clients come through advisors. So, so there is a, a third party in 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 that process. But but nonetheless, much of what Tom's talked about is what we do. So, so all staff have gone through training and, and go through regular training, uh, and that's to help them. You know, pick up on signals and and ask the right questions and things like that, so so that we can identify any vulnerabilities as as and when it happens. Um, also, just quite basic stuff like making sure you record it, uh, obviously when it happens, because this can be quite difficult for people to to kind of admit or talk to someone that they don't know and and tell. 
And the last thing you want is them having to do that every single time they phone, you know. And that, that, that sounds really simple, but it's it's quite an obvious step to make sure that, that, that this information is recorded across the business. Mm -hmm. So whoever uh, does talk to that customer has access to that information so that everyone knows about it. Um, so, so, so lots of, of similar information, uh, lots of similar things that we're doing. Uh, I mean, I guess another example from us, and it's again quite a small example, is in an international business, we, we employed someone last year who used to work in an accident and emergency department of, a, of an NHS hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's just, that, that's quite different from a financial services background. So it's just bringing people in with different skills and, and the kind of skills that someone from that background has in, in listening to people and questioning people and, and kind of getting information from people is quite different to where mm -hmm. a kind of traditional staff that we might employ. So, so it's, it, that kind of thing is quite important. It's trying to get different skill sets uh, in the people that we employ. Yeah, I think that's a good point because it's you're right. Not just it shouldn't just be industry people learning from each other because there's a there's a, there's a danger there. You end up with a bit of group thinking. and everyone pats each other on the back and goes, "We're all doing great things and we've all agreed something and this is and this is fine." Whereas actually, if you go to like, going going to accident emergency, going to going to care homes, yeah. uh, going to go you know, speak to citizens' advice, different people who see people from different different walks of, of life. Yeah. Then I think um, I think that that's the there's all sorts that can be can be learned by that, the industry. That's very interesting because that was actually one of my questions later. Was you know is uh, financial services should never exist in some sort of incubator? Um, what are the other professions that we can learn from on this? I mean, I think uh, my first thought was lawyers because mm. you know lawyers deal with lasting power of attorney. Perhaps moments where people have died, they're administering yeah. estates. So, there, are there any other specific examples? Yeah, see, see I, I, I would, I would shy away from saying any other profession or industry. So, so, I think, I think you would go into any profession or industry, and there's good practice and not so good practice. So, yeah. so I think rather than saying here's an industry, I think you should try and pick good yeah. practice wherever it happens. So, it's trying to identify that good practice, whether it's in a a lawyers or a bank or, or wh wherever it is, and I think good and bad can exist across one you know one profession. So it's a, just a, a completely personal example. Is my father-in-law died a few months ago, uh, and so just dealing with the, the estate at the moment, as we've we've had to deal with three different banks, uh, and one's been really really good. So mm. as in, I would absolutely recommend them. One's been okay, and one's been absolutely appalling. Yeah. So so. That's just one simple industry, but but you can see very different practice across that. And I'm sure if you go into different industries, uh, so, so you mentioned lawyers, I'm sure some are very good and some good practice, but I'm sure equally there'll be some bad examples in there. So, mm. so I think rather than saying one industry, we just need to try and cherry pick good examples. And I think Tom mentioned it earlier is examples of good practice, and that's what the ABI is sharing. So they've got you know, 30, 40 examples of good practice on the website from companies sharing with other companies, and, and that helps. Is there a working group on it? There's an ABI working group which, which is all about sharing this best practice amongst members and, and trying to see what, what works and, what, and I guess what doesn't work yeah. to some degree as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a working group for everything. There's a working group for everything. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as parliamentary time allows, Tom. Um, a question about regulation, um, because I was reading the asset management study yesterday, 
And um, it just struck me that it was a very, it was a, a document very concerned with language. And I think we're seeing a lot of regulatory activity in the asset management space in particular at the moment, surrounding language and communication and kind of the semantics of things. Um, more of an open question for you both. Are there examples of language or communication styles that either of your employers have picked up that are more uh, suitable in specific scenarios for dealing with different types of vulnerable customers? I, I, um, I was thinking very specifically, Tom, about the time mm. in, in the pub when you, you, know, you told me about the guy that was very clearly kind of far too engaged with his pension. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's always, always, always I mean, yeah, so we, we, you, know, you, you have, uh, you have, we've had issues of people you know, massively over trading and they'll trade and they'll trade and they'll trade to the point where they're almost running out of money and it's clear that they're gambling. And so that's one of the you know, many different types of checks that we'll have in place where you see somebody um, behaving in a way that isn't normal. And at some point or another, you step in and you'll block that account and you'll say, You're, we're doing this to stop you from hurt, hurting yourself. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. But would, you, would you pick up if someone, you know, very definitely changed their views, you know, so if someone went from, you know, very cautious, say yeah, cash, to exactly. very, very extravagant, would, would, you, yeah. would that flag yeah, up? So it would, it would kind of a change up. in yeah, behaviour? Exactly. Those, those are the kind of issues that will be... Um, Will be picked up. Any sort of change in behaviour is the clear way. But it's it's not easy, and I, and I, and I, and you know, for the for those that while while some will have been picked up, there will inevitably be some people who demonstrate more subtle changes. And you know, just because somebody goes from low risk to high risk doesn't mean that they don't know exactly what they're doing. And frankly, it is their money. So um, so the, yeah, there is an argument to say who are we to stop them doing what they what they'd like to do on the, on the issue of um, uh, what. I, I, I guess what, what what can be done to communicate with people and to um, explain explain to people the the risks. I think I think the um, keeping things. I mean, I'm like a broken record on this, but keeping things as simple as you possibly can um, has to be an important part of this. So we talked earlier about the the fact that vulnerability can be all sorts of things, and one one issue is um, understanding and comprehension. I think that everybody would uh, would agree that the industry's not been very good at explaining concepts to people in a way that's easy to understand in the past i think it's getting better i think the abi has done some good work on simplifying language and things like that and uh, you know there's a role for everyone in this as well there's there are regulatory requirements on providers that can quite often mean that they send out huge packs of information that are difficult for anyone to understand let alone somebody who perhaps has a lower reading comprehension level or struggles with yeah. uh, maths or concentrating on things or, or, or things like that i think there's there's all sorts of things that can be done to make everything we do just more accessible to to everyone and to ensure that people who struggle perhaps to to read or understand things have different ways of receiving the information that they need. Mm. What does this look like, say, to, to someone in a customer-facing role at either Canada Life or AJ Bell or any other company? What should it look like to them, or say, they're, you know, they have their screen in front of them? Is this a kind of a computerized system, ideally, that actually has a, a kind of a red thing on the screen that says this, that's very obvious to the customer handler? Is that what it looks like at AJ Bell? Or is oh, that's, it a good, that's a good question, because I've, well, I've never actually gone and sat there, so that is, that'll be a bit of homework for me to do after this, is to sit down and see exactly what happens. It's described to me as a red flag. In my mind, I'm thinking of a literal red flag, but it will be so, <laughs> there will be something on the systems that means if somebody if a, if a client phones up, they want to make a trade or something like that, then um, the the person on the phone will immediately be able to get their details up, know exactly who they are, and if it's somebody who has had issues in the past, then they'll be referred to the to the yeah. person who they've spoken to previously. Well, you'll have to come in for part two, Tom, <laughs> uh, when you've done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think yeah. it's also important that that person, that individual, has 
uh, both the empowerment and, and, and the suitable training to, yeah. to, to decide on an appropriate response. So, yeah. so, so while you're saying system, you don't want it scripted or, or what you yeah. want, you want to yeah. give people the flexibility to, to, to give an appropriate response yeah. based on that individual information. So you do want to empower that individual to, to make appropriate decisions based on the information that they're getting from yeah. the yeah. customer. So, so, so I think we need to be careful of over scripting or, 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 or being too fixed on what we're saying to people because by its very nature, it is going to vary by individuals. So, so we do need to have that flexibility uh, and, and try to make sure that people have the necessary skills and as I say, the necessary uh, scope to, to, to answer and, and go off script yeah. as, as it were and, and answer that. Uh, so it's absolutely, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, put, put as simply as possible, it's getting people in front of the person who's most able to help them absolutely. as quickly as possible. It's the same as with, you know, in any company, in any business you want, you know, if you're a, if you're, if you're a journalist, you want to speak, you want to be able to get, get go in a, and speak to the expert who's going to be able to give you the answers in the most efficient way yeah. possible. And, and you want that person to take responsibility and exactly. say, I, I will, you know, not that I'm going to hand you off to yeah. X, I'm going to take responsibility for that and I will come back to you and I will deal with it. And, and that's, that's yeah. what most people are looking for is, is an individual to say, I will own mm. the issue, issue for you and, and I, will, I, will, I will sort it. And just finally, a broad industry consensus on this. It seems like you know you, you paint a pretty positive picture of the things that the financial services sector, certainly in the pension space, mm. are doing. Um, do you sense that there's consensus on this? I, I think there's consensus that that work needs to be done. Mm. Uh, I, I think there will be different views on exactly what that work is, uh, and that's probably fair enough because I don't think anyone's necessarily got the right answer here. Mm. Uh, the, the one other but I would flag here is is there's also across all our businesses uh, w we need to take care around scams so there needs to be a protection element around here so, so we need to help customers uh, achieve what they want in as simple and easy a way as possible but we also need to just kind of have an overseeing role there as well so, so that uh, and, it, and it's perhaps more more explicit in Tom's area where it's direct customer but if someone's saying uh, you know, I want to do something that, that sounds different or sounds unusual, then we need to be able to say, actually, maybe you just want to think about that for a little while. Or, or, or you know, certainly we've come across cases of bereavement and, and there's a worry that someone's, you know, perhaps manipulating things behind the scenes and yeah. things like that. So, 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 so the industry also has this duty of care just to make sure that scams and things are, are not perpetuated. There's two further things I, I, that I think are important that come out of that and the first is um, actually the cold calling ban because mm -hmm. I know that Tom you were you know quite heavily involved in you know some of the lobbying about the, mm -hmm. the cold calling ban and you, you know you made TV appearances arguing in favour of it. Um, nothing is perfect on you know cold calling um, the same. Um, what more do you think needs to be done to protect people from pension scams do you think? <laughs> Well, I mean, so uh, there'll be. Uh, so I think actually, when this when this goes to air, it's fine. So there's the the, you know, the FCA are going to be public. Will have published by the time this goes to air some information on uh, the um, the the amount that people have been scammed through investments um, in 2018. Figures from Action Fraud is somewhere pushing up to 200 million pounds. Now, clearly, investments aren't um, covered by the cold calling ban. So that's one point where you start. Uh, but I, I, 
Uh, so in, in, that, in that release from the FCA, they talk about the fact that scams are increasingly moving away from the phone. And everyone, everyone knows this in their day-to-day life. It's moving away from phones. It's onto social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and the internet. Now, you then get to the question of how do you police the internet? Now, that's, that's a question that goes way beyond pension scams. I mean, yes. the power of you know, Twitter and Google and social media giants and the extent to which, I mean, whole governments are struggling to police these things for all sorts of things and pension fraud is just one of them so I, I think I think the most effective way to um, ensure that people don't fall victim to scams is one of the tragedies is that it's always vulnerable people who tend yeah. to be targeted um, is to improve education to improve awareness I think the FCA deserves credit for its scam smart campaign um, I think the advertising campaign was powerful you never you're never going to stop it altogether is this um, the one where it was a TV, set of TV adverts about not letting someone else enjoy your retirement? And it, and it was a so there's a there's a man sat yes there's a man sat on a yeah. sofa and I, I, as far as I'm aware that's a, that was a, gen, a genuine victim of a scam I think mm. um, and so it's got it's kind of split shots of this guy on the sofa who's lost all his entire retirement fund to a scammer and then it shows that fictitious scammer going around on a jet ski and all that kind of stuff so I think things like that have been incredibly effective and. I, I, my, my, my view was always that the, the government needs to do as much as it possibly can mm-hmm. to make it difficult for scammers. So something like a cold calling ban doesn't clearly doesn't solve anything. Nobody ever thought it would or claimed it would. But I think you need to stop. You need to do everything you possibly can to make it as hard as possible. So scammers have to go overseas. They have to set up a, an yeah. office in somewhere where cold calling is allowed. And then once you get to that point, then you've got to push out as much information as you can to people and be absolutely clear about the warning signs. And I think the one big positive about the cold calling ban is is it allows a very clear message. Yes. So, so, so it allows this clear message that everyone can say, government and industry and whoever can say, if someone contacts you about your pension that you don't know, it's likely to be a scam. And, and, th- and that becomes quite a straightforward message. Mm-hmm. This is a scam. If you don't know the person, just walk away, you know. And at least that becomes quite a simple, easy to understand mm. message. Uh, I think I can, w- we may see from government, if we have enough parliamentary time with you, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is 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 a, maybe a restriction on on the right to transfer. So so we saw some issues uh, a couple of years ago with with a Royal London case where Royal London didn't want to transfer. Uh, to a particular case and, and, and the case went to the High Court mm. and, and they had to eventually yeah. transfer is, is I think the government would like to restrict that. So, so most people have a, an absolute right to transfer. Uh, I think around the edges they would like to control that a little bit so, so that if, if it looks a bit like a scam then a, then a scheme or a provider might be able to say actually in this situation we, we won't transfer your benefits yeah, so okay. so but that, that needs legislation but I think you would like to do that legislation yeah. should, should they have yeah, the necessary was, yeah. time so. it was, it's the, the cold calling bit was the bit that got all the attention but actually it was supposed to be a package that, that, that of measures that bit was the second part and, of, of your cold and I think that, that's, the, that's the bit that's particularly caught in the as soon as parlementary time allows <laughs> bit so yeah. Um, final, final question. I was intrigued to hear you talk about that conversation, Andy, between you know your call handler and your your vulnerable customer, where the call handler says, you know, are you sure you want to do this, etc. Um, I'm mindful at this point that there's this other agenda about where 
perhaps guidance or communication over the phone uh, between a company and a customer perhaps could be perceived to stray into financial advice and the customer comes back and says well you know you told me to think about it and an x or y happened instead so what are the what are the key considerations there yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it probably falls into Tom's area slightly more yeah. than us because we mostly advise, so we're mostly talking to advisors, sure, sure. so you can have a, a bit more straightforward conversation with an advisor. But um, you're right, at, at the end of the day, it is the customer's money. So, so if they absolutely want to do it, again, then they absolutely have the right to do it. So, so I think what, what our responsibility is to flag up the risks mm. uh, or the potential uh, issues involved. Um, and if, if we get to a point where, where we genuinely think that individual is making a decision based on, on their situation, then that's fine. I, I think the, the worry is sometimes if there's someone else involved, so, so if there's a scammer behind the scenes or if there's another family member or something like that directing, and I think that's a slightly different scenario. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for advisors, it, it's, it's uh, again, advisors will know their clients better because they're probably much more uh, likely to be talking to them on a regular basis, but it's all about this this change in behaviour, perhaps. And and you know, if someone's been over the years saying I want to do this, 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 and this, and then they suddenly go off, uh, you know, and something else comes out of the blue, then that would be a warning flag, and and that might be a situation where the advisor would want to say, actually, are you sure about this, or do you want to take time yeah. to think about this, and, and, and aspects like that. So, mm. And potentially getting another family member involved, mm. obviously, with the, with, the, with the client security. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, personally, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm less concerned, and I'm sure as Andy as well, with the, um, the advice part of the market, because generally, you know, if, you, if you've got an advisor, then they'll, um, they'll know your personal affairs. They might know your family as well, and they'll be able to... Um, They'll be able to pick up any issues where you may become vulnerable a lot, a lot quicker. But in the, I think in the in the D 2 C market, um, we need to we need to get to the point where we're having a slightly more grown up conversation about um, the the things that providers do in terms of providing guidance to people and the things that they don't do. So we've we we, we started post pension freedoms with the uh, you know the, the launch of uh, pension wise, and there was a big push by people to say that. Um, retirement guidance needs to be totally independent. It can't be providers offering this guidance. So that's the route that we went down. Um, I've since seen uh, a certain chair of a work and pensions committee um, <laughs> saying Who that, shall uh, yeah, so, 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 suggesting uh, that providers aren't doing enough to look after the well-being of their customers, and so they're therefore not providing enough guidance. And so I think we what may come through the Treasury committees, which obviously separate committees work on vulnerable customers, we need we need we need to start thinking very carefully about the extent to which providers should be able to talk to customers and communicate with customers in order to protect them. And, and absolutely, the, the provision of independent guidance is incredibly incredibly important, and that needs to remain in place, and that needs to be prominent, and people need to be told about it. But um, I, I, I found it I found it mildly humorous, to say the least. It was uh, there was a there was a, a, a square and a circle. I was trying to get both of them to fit together. That yeah. provide where providers, on the one hand, should never talk to customers because they have a massive vested interest, yeah. and on the other hand, should be talking to customers all the time to protect them. And I, I, I hope that I know the, the Treasury Committee work is a kind of background to a lot of this, as well as the FCA looking at it. I hope that the Treasury Committee will will think through some of those issues. I think there'll be a temptation 
as there always is with these committees, to come out and just attack and bash people and say, you're not doing enough. I think the industry, everybody should sit down and say, clearly we're doing, as, we're doing the best that we can, but this is a difficult subject. And, uh, and, and I think it's important that parliamentarians and everyone in the industry um, takes part in, a, in a, a serious debate rather than just kind of chucking stones. And I guess that's where the new single financial guidance body, which hopefully gets a shorter name soon. <laughs> but uh, but uh, SFG, hopefully they will help as well and, and they, they can produce material yeah. and, and providers can, can direct people to that material, which will be seen as to be independent and yeah. things like that but, as but well. But we all, so, absolutely, we all so, have to, so, yeah. So all, yeah, all bits need to work together. We have think, to work so. together because so the, the stuff that Andy and I both talked about, about uh, the, the flags that come up for different potential vulnerable customers, that can only be done by a provider who knows about that customer yeah. and knows the way that they're acting. The, the reality is that the single financial guidance body, whatever it's going to be called, won't be able to do that for individual customers. So. I absolutely agree. Everybody has to work together to come up with solutions and it's, it's not something where you want to see too much mm. bashing of each other, which tends to be the case sometimes. I see. Well, just time for some thoughts from our uh, Twitter followers. Neil Beige uh, said it in response to our poll uh, that he wrote in 2015 about this topic and since then not only has our annual research continued to prove my point, but I've seen little change in the regulatory landscape. He's a consumer behavioural specialist. Uh, he said at the time, over half the UK population is vulnerable when it comes to fully grasping financial terms, concepts, products and services. This is why the industry must do more to thoroughly assess consumer understanding or risk yet more mis-selling scandals. And Mark J. Hassel, uh, an um, unfortunate second name, says financial services cannot do anything for vulnerable clients, but frontline staff advisors can the public can also do more to help themselves, like getting LPA's lasting power of attorneys. Um, thank you to those two for sending that in. I'm afraid we're all out of time for today. Um, if you've got views on this topic that you want us to share, do get in touch. You can send us an email at news at citywire.co.uk. We do read everything you send in. All that remains to be said is that if you like this project, podcast, do subscribe on iTunes and leave us a lovely review if you're feeling generous. So until next time, it's thanks to my guests. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening, and goodbye.